Welcome to the Rise Up series. This is a series for men. The world is knocking men down and trying to keep them from their God-ordained purpose, to lead others out of darkness and into the light. Every man knows what it feels like to get knocked down, but not every man knows how to get back up again. And if a man gets knocked down enough times, he may even stop trying to get back up again. This series is intended to help men stand against the onslaught from the culture that might knock them down and will help those men who have been knocked down to get back up again. God has called you to a higher purpose. Welcome to Rise Up. Thank you for this time to gather as men as we pause from our busy lives and we remind ourselves that we are sons of God, that we are men of God, and that we are called to, to walk in such a way that others can see you more clearly. So we thank you for this time. We ask for your blessing upon the rest of this meeting and that you would use it for your glory, the growing up of your men, and the furtherance of your kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good food, good worship. Good God. <laughs> Morning. Miles and friend, you, you missed the food part. Sorry. You, you're not that great, but you're pretty good. Okay. All right. Turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6. The men, the men's Bible study has been going through um, first Timothy for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue to go through that. And I'm going to, I pulled a message out of one of my favorite sections of first Timothy is in chapter six. And so I, I'm, I've just pulled this message out. It also relates to something going on in my life. So, so there you go. And um, we're going to read this and in, in verse 11, um, of chapter six, Paul instructs us. There are six things that we must pursue as men of God. That, and the idea of pursuing is chase after them until you acquire them. And so let's read this whole paragraph and then we'll talk about some of that. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, But you, O man of God, who is a man of God? Anybody who claims, any male who claims Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior is technically a man of God might not act like one. You might not have all your stuff worked out, but in God's eyes, you are a man of God. You, you know, you, you, you are called by his name. You are one of his. So you are a man of God, even if you don't act like it as well as you should. He says to them, flee these things. Now, these things are found in verses one through 10. You can go back and read those later. But, or and, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment. The commandment is the one there in verse 11. Without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. There, there is so much wrapped up in that paragraph, we're only going to touch on just a tiny little bit of it. But within this, he, he begins by referring to a man of God, then talking about Christ, and goes into this doxology that relates to God in such a powerful way that you have to make the connection between a man of God and the immensity of God. There's this, this, this powerful connection there that we don't want to miss, that God is calling us to something great and awesome and powerful. And we see it laid out for us there. 
Now, I'm guessing if we, if we pause and look at verse 11 again and these, these six things, that like me, many of you have mastered many of these things, right? You've got it all going on. You, you've nailed it. For example, I am the most patient man I know. Except when my projects are not going the way that I wish they would, the way that I plan them, the way that I think they ought to go. And except when, when the people around me do weird stuff. And, and, there's a, you know, and also except when my wife... When, when she doesn't agree with me or when, you know, she isn't ready when I'm ready to go or she, she, you know, she tries to tell me how to drive for crying out loud. <laughs> and except when the kids or grandkids do weird stuff. Except when my car you know, something happens in my car, you know, gets broken or in my house needs work or repair. Okay, maybe I haven't mastered patience as well as I would like. And I'm guessing most of us would say the same thing. I was sharing, I've been working on this project in the backyard. Enough <sighs> said. <laughs> There are times when I'm impatient. And there are lots of ways that we show our impatience. We all have our special way of showing impatience. And they're unique to us individually. It can be outbursts of anger. It can be expressions of frustration. It could be expressions of sarcasm of cutting or unkind words. It can be condescending attitudes, lots of different ways that we express impatience. The one thing we need to acknowledge, every one of them is sinful, is wrong. What does it mean to be patient? Well, I just grabbed a you know, a definition off of dictionary.com because you can always trust them. It says the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. That's a, a passable definition, but I'm going to give you one much deeper than that. I'm going to give you a more spiritual definition. I'm going to explain a spiritual understanding of patience that we, need to, that we need to really absorb and connect with because it is so important to the people around us that we are, in fact, patient men. When we think of patience, very often we think that patience is, you know, you know not blowing up not expressing our dissatisfaction, not, not letting people see our frustration. That's being patient. Well, that's not what patience is. Patience is not just stopping yourself from exploding, going nuclear on somebody. That's practicing self-control. That's good, but it's not patience. When we blow up, all we're doing is expressing the emotions that are already bottled up inside of us. That emotion, that impatience is in there already. All we're doing is allowing it to the surface. So just holding that back, putting a cap on that, is not being patient. You may look patient, but you're not actually being patient. Patience is about being in such control of yourself that you feel no need to feel or to express or to explode or to any of that thing. There is nothing in you that wants to come out. That's what patience is. Turn to James chapter 1. James 1. We're going to go a couple, couple of different places this morning. I, I, my desire for myself, my desire for all of you guys is that we would be better. Right? I mean, I mean, 
unless you think you're perfect here this morning, which if you were, you wouldn't be here. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that we should all have a desire to be better. Better men, better husbands, better fathers, better grandfathers, better neighbors, better churchmen, better employees, better retirees, better whatever, whatever adjectives you use to describe yourself. We should have a desire to be better at those things. I know for me, one of those areas that I need to continue, and there's, there's, there's more than just one, maybe two or three, but one of those areas where I need to improve is in patience. I need to be more patient. And here at the beginning of the epistle of James, which we may, I don't know, the men, the men's study will get to it eventually if we ever finish First Timothy. But in James here, he gives us a, an interesting connection between the things that we're going through and patience. So let's read it in James 1, verses 2 through 4. It says this, My brethren, James speaking to other believers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So where does patience come from? Trials. Ooh, wait a minute. I thought, I thought God would just give it to me. Well, he can. The word tells us that it gives it to us through trials. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The goal that I'm looking for in my life, the goal that I'm looking for in your lives is what? Perfection. Perfection. Now, we aren't perfect. But if we are seeking God, if we are seeking to follow hard after Christ, we should be being perfected. We should be in this process of perfecting that, you know, that tomorrow you're going to be a little bit better than you are today, right? I mean, I mean, should that not be a goal that I get just incrementally a little bit better tomorrow than I am today? Today I'm a little, should be a little bit better than yesterday, which I'm going to get some practice. I'm going home to dig some holes after this. So I'm going to get some practice at it. Now, this is the same goal that God has for us. God has this goal for us in Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that'd be Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's God's will that each of us would be engaged in the process, we call that process sanctification, the process of being perfected moment by moment, day by day, thought by thought, action by action, that everything that we do is drawing us into a closer relationship with God and, 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 a, and a, uh, a closer um, reflection of the image of Jesus Christ, that we're becoming more perfect every single day. And so James describes something of a process that takes place that brings us to perfection, this idea that brings us to the place of, of, of growing patience. And it begins with various trials. Now, we often might think that, that you know, the way that you, get, you, you, you develop patience is you have a Job experience. You know, the world comes caving in around you. You know, disaster after disaster, crisis after crisis. You know, your entire world c crumbles and then you get patience. Absolutely not. No way. If you're not already patient when all those things happen, you're not going to become any more patient through that. It will absolutely ruin you. And he says various trials here. He's talking about every little thing that happens. The, all those little daily trials, those little daily things that come, that's where we learn patience. Not with the big ones. We need patience for the big ones. And we might learn a little bit about patience with the big ones, but it's the little ones that really teach us about patience. You know, some of these things that come into our lives are so small that we don't even want to call them trials, right? I think as we, as we mature in our faith, you know, you know, as we're young in our faith, everything is a trial. Oh my gosh. 
I, I, I'm Job. You know, I got, I got a, I got a hangnail. Oh, I'm living the life of Job. Come on. But we mature, we grow in our faith and we start to realize, no, that's not a trial. That, that's, that's almost nothing. All of these various things that come, the nuisances, the annoyances, the inconveniences, all of these things that, that interrupt our perfect flow. Because don't we all have an idea of what life should be? My life is going to flow X, Y, Z. I'm going to go home. After we're done here, I'm digging five holes, and they're going to go it's going to take me 12 minutes each, and I'm going to nail them, and I'm going to have that fence up this afternoon, and everything is going to be cool, right? Wouldn't that be glorious? That's my plan. That's my, that's my will. That's my idea. And, you know, and unfortunately, it's going to be 1,000 degrees, and there are so many rocks in my ground that I literally, I go out there, and there will be rocks just popping out of the ground. I, mean, I, I don't know how it happens. Like, they're growing there. You know, the, the reality is that there's so many different things that God can use. One of the things that God has used in my life, it's kind of one of those ones that really stood out to me. Um, at one point, God just got my attention with it, is when I go somewhere with my wife. I have been, and, and it may be something that attached to my time in the military. You know, if, I'm, if we're going somewhere and we have a time we're supposed to be there, I do not want to be late. I cannot stand being late. It, it bothers me to be late. It just emotionally bothers me to be late. And so, for me, the right time to leave is 10 to 15 minutes before we're supposed to be there. All right? We're out the door, in the car, driving away 15 minutes before we're supposed to be there. Perfect. Kelly? Mm -mm. She has a completely different view of that. First off, it doesn't bother her to be late. It, it just doesn't annoy her like it does me. And second... For her, it's a complete waste of time to leave even one second before the amount of time it takes to get to wherever you're going. You know, you know, Waze is a wonderful tool, but it can allow her to predict exactly what time we can leave and get there on time. The problem is, you know, we would, we would, this, we've been married for. 40 years and and we would we'd get planned to go somewhere and I'm ready 10 to 15 minutes before I'm standing there okay tick you know I can I can feel my blood pressure going up as the as the chance of us being on time shrinks to almost impossible Whoop, finally she's done she goes out and she says oh did you do x y or z what I didn't even know we needed to do that before we left. So, okay, so now we have to do that. Okay, do that. And then, and then there's, uh, and did you, I'm about to lose my mind. And we get in the car and you go, oh, by the way, we need to stop at. Okay, now any chance of being on time is gone, blah, blah. And it would ruin me. It would ruin me. And I would be, I would be frustrated, I'd be angry, I would be miserable during whatever event it was that we were going to. And heaven forbid if it was a baby shower. I was already, I was already predisposed to being frustrated and, and miserable if it was a baby shower. I tried everything I could think of to change her. Until God told me, she is not the problem. God said, you're the problem, Rick. Now, in reality, this was not a big trial in my life. But it happened a lot. And so it was, it was one of those things that just kept happening and happening and happening. And at some point, God got my attention... And caused me to understand that I was being impatient. 
I thought I was being reasonable. I thought I was being normal. I thought I was doing what was right. We should be there on time. That's the right, that's respectful. To the, where, what, where, whatever, wherever we're going and whatever we're doing, you should be on time. I still believe that. I was choosing to be miserable. And I was making everyone around me miserable. Now I still struggle with this. I still, I still feel this, this compulsion to be on time. But I know that God is trying to teach me patience in this. And James 3, James 1 verse 3 says that these trials, these, these things that we go through, these inconveniences, these annoyances, these frustrations, whatever they are, whatever these problems are, whatever these issues are, they are, they are for the testing of our faith, to prove our faith. Now, that was when I started to understand what was going on. That was a fascinating thing to me. Because here I was. I was projecting out from me the problem. Saying the problem is not me. I'm doing what is right. And God said, no, you're not because your heart's wrong. Yeah, is it right to be on time? Yes. But not with that heart, it's not. Trials have a purpose. Inconveniences, annoyances, these things that don't go according to plan, these things that are harder than they ought to be, these things that, you know, they're just, there's just, there should not be that many rocks in that hole. You know, those kinds of things, they are, they are, they are there to test me, to test my heart. So what God is doing is whenever those things come, he's testing to see if my faith is real or if it's strong. Is it weak? Is it strong? Is it real? Is it fake? That's what God's trying to test. And he's not trying to prove it to him. He's trying to prove it to me. So when I was being impatient with Kelly, it proved something. It proved that something was wrong with my faith. I was failing the test. Everything that comes into our lives, every trial, every inconvenience, every annoyance, every nuisance, everything that bothers us, everything that frustrates us, everything that gets us emotional in any way will prove if your faith is strong or weak, real or false. Every last one of them. And we need to understand that so that we can start grabbing a hold of those things and, and convincing ourselves that what God is trying to show us is true. When we, when we, when we, you know, when I, when I'm, you know, doing whatever I'm doing and I, and I'm, I'm just frustrated that it's not going the way I want. Am I, am I pausing and asking God to show me my heart, which is what he wants me to do? It's in these little day-to-day, moment-by-moment tests that come that, that, that our, our God is going to use to grow our faith. Not, not, the, not the great big ones, you know, you know the, and the different aspects of faith. We're, we're talking about patience here this morning, but it could be any of those things. Anything that, any, any character trait, every, everything that relates to our relationship with God, everything that we go through every single day, every little thing is an opportunity to learn something about God and to grow in our faith toward Christ's likeness. Every last one of them. One of the things that God taught me in that particular scenario with me, you know, being stupid about being late. My patience was unloving. Now, if you ask me in the moment that I was feeling that way, did I love my wife? What do you think my answer would be? Well, of course I do. Of course I do. How much? As much as I know how, as well as I know how. But I wasn't showing it. And I wasn't loving her the way I should in those moments. 
Ephesians 5.25 commands me, husbands, love your wives, except when they're making you late to the next thing you're doing. My Bible doesn't say that, but that's the way I was acting. Right? I would say, I'm loving my wife, but God, can you fix her? You know, when I was being impatient, I was doing the opposite of loving her. And so I started to try to figure that out. And it, and it was hard. Because it was so, it, it, had, it, was, it had been a part of my life for so long, decades, it had been a part of my life. That when I finally started to realize what was going on, it was hard f- to change, to fix. And I started trying to figure out, okay, how do I love her in that moment? How do, I, how do I love her when she's doing that to me? And so I started making adjustments to me. I started learning how to help her get ready. I started learning what are the things she's going to ask me about right as we get ready to walk out the door. And I'm going to do those first. Or I'm going to ask her what needs to happen before we leave. And I also spent time as I was waiting. I'm ready. She's not. As I'm waiting, trying to understand why it bothered me. That was a hard one. And when I finally, when I finally got it, I was not happy about the answer. Because the problem was Rick's heart has way too much pride and selfishness. It was all pride and selfishness. Now, I could justify all day long why we should be on time. But why did it bother me that we weren't? That was pride and selfishness. God wanted me to humble myself and trust him with my time, with my reputation, with other people's impression of me. Gosh, there was so much stuff tied up that I'm still trying to discover all of the depths of the wretchedness of my heart. I still believe he wants me to be on time. I I believe that. I I think that, again, I think it's an issue of respect. You know, if, if, if I make a commitment or if there is a schedule, whatever, I think it's a matter of respect to be there on time. But when we're not on time, God is doing this work inside of me to change me. And, it's, and I use this as an example, of a real example in my life. And, and, and that it, it is a process that we go through. You're not going to overcome it overnight, but you have to sense it in your going on in you. When you're feeling impatient, when you're feeling frustrated, annoyed, or, or whatever that emotion is that's going on, you have to grab a hold of it and say, why? Why am I feeling this way? What is the source of this? Men, we have the power to make any situation better or worse. God has given us that power. He's given us the power to influence others, to influence circumstances, to influence situations. We don't have complete power because God's ultimately in total power, but he's given us some influence. And, because, and the way that we behave in certain circumstances, I, I, can tell you, I can't tell you how many times as, as God has been ministering to my heart, changing my heart, when somebody will come to me and they're, they're losing it over something. But God gives me a sense of peace and calm that when I apply that into that situation, it draws the whole thing down and brings them into a place of peace and calm because I know God has given me that influence. And so I use it. I mean, I, obviously one of the big places I do that is with my wife. I mean, she's going through some difficult things right now. Her mother is not in great health, and there's a lot of hard things going on. John knows. It's his mother, too. And, and that's, that's hard on her, and it wears on her. And so I, I play a role to help keep her steady in all of that because she's, she's working hard to take care of her mom. 
And you know, we, there's so many different things that go on in our lives. I mentioned baby showers. And Kelly knows that I would rather get a root canal <laughs> than go to a baby shower or go to a, a child's birthday party who isn't related to me. You know, if they're related to me, okay, I, I, I'm obligated to those ones. But if they're not related to me, come on, really? David, I know he's thinking, I know what he's thinking right now. I know what he's thinking. I'm going to tell Kelly that Rick needs to come to, you know, because there's probably a birthday every, every other month at your house. <laughs> oh, that's a, oh, no. <laughs> But here, here it is. If Kelly asks me, she knows how I feel about it. So if she, if she believes there's a reason why I need to go, and I'm sure David's going to convince her I, I have to go to the next one. If she's convinced that I need to go, I'm going to go. And you know what? I'm going to do my best to have the right attitude about it. I'm going to make that an experience, a good experience for her, whether I like it or not. That's what I'm called to do. That's what we are called to do. Because we're all going to get caught up in things that we don't, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to do that. But, there, but then we have to see, okay, what does God want me to do here? Does God care if I go to a baby shower? Well, he might. If there's a reason why I ought to be there. And, I, and I'll tell you what, every time I go to something like that, God always uses me for something. It's not about me. When I go in that way, it's an act of sacrificial love. That's exactly the kind of way, the way God wants me to love her and everyone else. I've totally set myself up now for the next baby shower that happens. <laughs> now, now, here's what happens now. Now, I still get impatient. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've been alive for a while. And, and I've, I have been convinced through whatever reason, I don't know why, that I can do anything I want. You know, if I watch three YouTube videos, I can do anything that needs to get done. Unfortunately, I keep forgetting that the last time I tried to do that, I failed miserably. And, and, and for some reason, I think I can go do it again. And, and, it, and I find myself in these places where I'm, I'm not able to do everything that I want to do. And it frustrates me. That's impatience. And I, and, I, and I still, every single thing that I do, I find these, I feel this, this, these emotions come in. I, I'm still struggling with impatience to this very day. You know, yesterday afternoon, I was experiencing it. And it will happen this afternoon. I'm certain of it. Hopefully not. Maybe you guys will pray over me. I'll be good. So, you know, it'll, it'll all be perfect. But I understand now that when it comes, whenever that thing comes that might want to frustrate me or annoy me, inconvenience me, that God wants to use that. And, and he wants to use it to make me better. Now, it doesn't make the trial pleasant. It doesn't make the inconvenience good. But it's useful. And it will lead to good. And I can tell you, I, can, I know for an absolute fact that as I've watched the process, especially with the process of this whole thing with Kelly and her aspect of time, now she's, she, she's gotten much better. She understands how, how it makes me feel when we're late. And so she actually goes to great lengths to try to be on time, and she does a very good job of it. And we're not nearly as late as often as, as we used to be. And so, and so it, it, you know, so there's this, it's kind of going both ways, working both, both of us working toward a center. But I'm recognizing that I'm, I'm, every little bit is making me better when I allow God to do what God wants to do in that. I realize that every trial that God has allowed in my life is to help me to be more like Christ. One, pla one last place to turn to, 2 Corinthians 10. I know Chuck is already tuned out. He's got all his stuff closed up. That's all right. He's just one of the elders. <clears throat> Special dispensation, I guess. <laughs> yes, you get special dispensation. I'm going to point at you. That's what your special dispensation is. In verse 2, 
uh, uh, and, and, yeah, there you go. And, yeah, I'm, I'm having to practice it too. I'm looking over here at a closed Bible. I got to be patient with Chuck. In James 1 2, it said, Count it all joy. Count it all joy when these things happen. Wow. Can you imagine if we could actually accomplish that? Can you imagine we get there and we, and you know, and, and I, I'm reaching out of the hole and pulling out of the rock. Praise Jesus for this rock. Chuck it off into the, into the pile with the rest of them. I'm not doing it. I, I think I'm doing it more than I used to. I think I'm starting to experience it. I think the distance, the time duration between whatever it is that's bothering me and my opportunity to see God at work in it is getting shorter and shorter and shorter so that I, I don't spend as much time frustrated and angry or resentful or whatever that, that negative emotion is. I'm shortening that time so that, I actually, so that it actually makes life better when I do that. That, that I don't have to spend all this time hating whatever it is that's going on. Okay, okay, that's God at work right there. I may not understand fully what he's doing, but it's God. And God is good. And God loves me. And God is in control. So, okay. I'm going to accept that for what it is. And get the next rock out of the hole. And keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it. As long as we walk in this world, as long as we are in this flesh, our faith will be tested. There will never be a time when your faith does not need to be tested. It will always need one more test. One more test to prove, to grow, to shape, to change our faith, to make it more like Christ. Until, until we leave this flesh... That's the truth. And here's what we here's where we sometimes struggle. Is when we as men, one of our natural responses to things that are negative coming at us is to fight. I'm going to fight that. I'm going to resist that. I'm going to work against that. And the problem is we're using we're usually fighting the wrong enemy and using the wrong weapons. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The true battleground is not in the world around us. It's not the things. It's not the people. It's not the circumstances. The true battleground is in the spirit, is in the spiritual realm. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. Listen, the weapons of your warfare are not mighty in God. Roger or Larry or John and John and whoever else. The weapons of your warfare are mighty in God. We don't lose because we don't have what we need to win. We lose because we don't use what we've been given to win. You have everything you need to win. You have everything that every time something comes up to frustrate you, to anger you, to bother you, you have everything you need to just let it go and not respond to it the way that your flesh wants to. In fact, to respond in a way that glorifies God, that brings peace, that brings growth and maturity and brings all the good that God wants to bring out of every miserable thing that might happen in, in life and around us. You have everything you need to win. We just have to know how to use it. It's like, you know, the, the account of David, you know, when he was going to fight Goliath and Saul tried to give him his armor. He said, I can't use this. I've not tested it. I don't know how to use these things you've given me. So what did he do? He used what he knew. He had the tools and he used them. Brothers, you have the tools but you might not know how to use them.
That's why we gather together. That's why we do these things. So that we can figure out how to use the tools that God has given us so that we can win. When? Every time. Every circumstance, every situation, every time we get bloodied or bruised or battered, we don't have to be defeated. We have everything it takes to win. We just need to learn how to use it. Paul said in Ephesians, this is a verse you know really well, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Is that a suggestion? Or does it sound more like a command? Sounds like a command to me. Be strong in yourself. No. Why? You don't have it in you to be that strong. Not strong enough to fight the battles that, that are going to come to you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not in your power. Why? You don't have enough. Strong as you think you might be. Enemy, he'll prove to you how weak you really are. He'll prove how, how helpless you are. The stronger you think you are, the more he's going to break you. Be strong in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, able, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice what he says, you may be able. There's an aspect of choice there. You have to choose to stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Guys, you know, I've been using patience as, as kind of our topic for the day because it's, it's kind of big in my mind right now, big in my life right now, in my own, in my own personal things. But the reality is it applies to all aspects of our life. Pick something, holiness, righteousness, you know, pick, you know, uh, whatever, you know, whatever character trait that God has described for men and, and, and apply the same principles to it. It is, it is about us understanding who God is and why he's created us, what he's trying to do with us, and why he allows certain things to happen to test our faith, to prove that we still have more that we have to do to be more like Christ. Because, brothers, here's what happens. Dude, dude and this is true of all of us. Most of us are spiritually lazy. We'll only do what we have to. Once we get to a certain point, there's, we, we have this idea, it's a, it's a business term, the, the, the law of diminishing returns, where I, I'm not going to put too much more energy into it because the returns are not significant enough for me to invest into it. We all do it subconsciously. And we say to ourselves, okay, I'm this far. This far is good enough. At least I'm better than David. You know, we'll pick something like that. We'll give ourselves, okay, you know, like, you know, you know, I read one more page of the Bible than David did today, so I, I'm, I'm pretty holy. I read the whole Bible today. He read, he read the book names of the whole Bible. Don't let him fool you. Don't let him fool you. I'm just, we're just making stuff up now. Listen, the next time you catch yourself being impatient, because I'm guessing patience is an issue for just about everybody. The next time you find yourself being impatient or anything that resembles impatience, because we are also good justifiers in life. You know, that's not true impatience. That's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you'll figure out, you'll give it a different label and pretend like it's not really impatience when it actually is. Anytime you sense it, stop and ask yourself, why? Why is this bothering me? And why did God allow me? Why did he allow this circumstance to happen? What is he trying to show me? What am I supposed to learn from this? Ask yourself, 
What is it about your faith that needed to be tested? Because here's the truth. If your faith didn't need to be tested, you wouldn't be impatient. If you're impatient, it's because God's saying, uh, you, you're, 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 not, you're not done yet. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to stand in the victory of Christ. And, and brothers, you know, if, you, if you don't pick up anything else from our gatherings, we gather because we need each other. That's why we gather. We come together, we do the men's Bible study on, on, on Saturday mornings at 7. We do the monthly men's breakfast. We do the different things. We serve together during, you know, different things and different things. Why? Because we need to be each other, around each other because by being around each other, we figure some of these things out. You know, if it wasn't for a message like this, you might not deal with your impatience for years maybe. You'll, you'll read where it says all these different things. It talks about patience, but it may not resonate with you until, until we all talk about it together. And then the next time you're impatient, one of the other guys says to you, uh, dude, that's messed up. Weren't you listening to Pastor Rick? Well, of course I wasn't. I never listened to him. Okay, sorry. I'm going to get somebody else up here you'll listen to, I guess. Listen, we need each other. And if you're struggling in an area like this, we need to talk to each other. We need to be open with each other. We need to admit it to one another. Because the reason why we don't is another problem we need to deal with. Pride. And thinking that, you know, that I don't need anyone. Dude, I, I, that's another one I'm still struggling with. Thinking that I can do it all myself. No, you can't. No, you can't. And if you keep trying to convince yourself that that's true, God will convince you that it's not. And you really don't want him to do that. I promise you that. Amen? Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for this opportunity to gather as men. And I pray, Lord, as we've talked about patience today, and, and it is just one of many topics that we could talk about this morning. We've cho I chose this one because it's one that I'm still, I, I mean, this last month and a half has been, just one opportunity to learn this lesson after another. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm failing a lot of the tests, God. And I don't want to. I want to do better. And so I pray, Lord, even this afternoon as I go back to the work, I pray, Lord God, that you would minister to my own heart and help me to be patient. Help me so that, so that um, even as I know Kelly's going to help me because she just can't help herself. She just wants to be there, wants to help me. Lord, let me, let me be an example to her of patience in the midst of, of difficulties and inconveniences and frustrations and, and things not going the way we want them to. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to show her you, Jesus, through my patience. And I pray for all these men, Lord God, that they would do the same thing, that they'd look at those areas in their lives. What is it that frustrates them, that annoys them, that inconveniences them? Is there something, some kind of pattern that they can see where this, this kind of a thing bothers me, but, but you would say to them, but, but it shouldn't bother us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to do the same kind of work that you've been trying to do in me, to help me to see it and help me to acknowledge it and help me to allow you to do that work to change me. And I thank you for these men, and I pray for your blessing over them as, as, Lord, men who are called to lead, called to influence, and I pray, Lord God, that you would use them mightily. And Lord, as we prepare to close, I just want to pause just for a moment and lift up Israel as, Lord, all that's going on over there and, and the, the just, Lord, Lord, you know, you know our heart for Israel, Lord God, that, that they're your people, and while... Uh, as a whole, they're far from you. They're still your people. And your word tells us to pray for them. Your word tells us to bless them. And your word tells us, Lord God, to never stop praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And so we do that right this very moment. We pray, Lord God, that you'd have your hand upon them. 
while they're depending upon the Iron Dome and, and their military force, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, be, you would be the Diamond Dome and that you would cover them in such a way as to protect them from, from harm. But at the same time, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that they, through this difficulty, through this terrible time, that, that somehow, at least some of them would come to meet their Messiah. And I pray, Lord, for that blessing over them. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for all that you are and all that you do. We know that you will have the victory. And we lift it up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for the Rise Up series. It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If you have questions, or if there's anything that we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying with you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word PRAY to 951-419-5396. If this material has blessed you in any way, has been useful to you in any way, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfe.com give or text the word GIVE to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.